Turn it on here. Oh, there. I hear something. Okay. You just never know about this mic I wear. At any rate, um, the Bible says that um, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Um, I don't know what kind of week you've had, but whatever kind of week you've had, it is a good day to be in the house of the Lord. It is a good day to acknowledge that the tomb is empty, our Savior is risen, that that death has been defeated, that sin has been overcome, that there is a future for us, that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, and after a certain time, He's going to come, and He's going to receive us unto Himself. So we praise God for that. And it's good to see you today. If you are visiting with us, and I look around, I don't think we have any folks visiting with us today, but if you've never... If you're online and you've never filled out a, uh, an online connection card, uh, you can take your phone and you can uh, <clears throat> snap that QR code on the screen with your camera and uh, then scroll down to the bottom of what loads on that web page and you'll be able to complete an online connection card. You'll also have a bulletin there and all kinds of information if you're so inclined to read that. A few announcements. Tonight is our August business meeting and uh, as a church member... If that is speaking to you, it is your right, your privilege, and your responsibility to participate in these meetings. So I encourage you, make every effort to attend. Um, Steph, do, you want, do we need to say anything about last night? It was wonderful. Okay, last night uh, we had our, our, our meeting, our kickoff for the Pray For Me campaign and the prayer champions uh, and, and the youth. And so I'm not sure how many we had last night, but we've had an overwhelming response to... Um, folks saying, yes, I will, for the next year, pray for a, a student here. And, and so uh, I know the students enjoyed it. I, I feel like the adults enjoyed it. If you're still interested in it, you can talk to Stephanie, and she'll hook you up with uh, a book and a youth that you can pray for. Um, also, uh, Kayla asked me to pass along uh, much thanks from the Women of the Word, the WOW Ministry. They packed 22, or they, they supplied school supplies for 22 students this year. And she said, now that's the most that we've ever had to pack for. And so praise the Lord that uh, Giving Hearts came through. And uh, we were able to uh, meet the needs of these 22 young people and their families. Is there, are there any other announcements we need to make at this time? Yes. Sorry. Um, if you are planning on... Um, helping with our children's ministry in the fall, which will start on September 7th. I need to meet with you briefly next Sunday, maybe right after church on um, um, August 21st. So if you can do that, that would be great. Anyone else? All right. Well, would you please stand? Uh, we'll have our call to worship this morning. Uh, this is, we'll all read this together. It comes from Psalm 147, verse 1. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. Amen. Let's worship.
Good morning. I was glad when they said unto me, let us come into the house of the Lord. That is um, such a special verse to me and um, ties right in with what I wanted to tell you today. What is today? What is the next? Sunday. Sunday. Today is Sunday. I want to read to you out of the Ten Commandments. Um, as soon as I can see them. Okay. Uh, among the Ten Commandments is this one. Um, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter. We don't call this the Sabbath, do we? We call it Sunday. When Jesus came and walked on the earth, you've got your shoes on the wrong feet, girl. <laughs> Is that special for Sunday? <laughs> um, when Jesus was here, um, he was teaching in the synagogue, which was sort of like a church, and um, it was the Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week. Sunday is the first day of the week. And we as Christians uh, celebrate Sunday because it was the day that Jesus was resurrected. I want to read to you now uh, something that Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. On a Sunday, but I need you guys to help me. If you'll come all stand right up here with me, I'll show you what I need for you to do. Okay, I want you all here, face the congregation. I want you all to just bend over at your waist like this. Okay, and I want you to stay, like, bend over just like this and look at the floor and don't stand up until I say stand up, okay? Uh, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. Um, as I said, it was on the Sabbath, and the Bible says, And behold, there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double. In other words, she was bent over at the waist, and she could not stand up. Stand up. Okay. She couldn't do that. Is it who out here is 18 years old? Anybody? Will y'all stand up? Okay, this is how long 18 years is. See how big Isaac and Sydney are? That's 18 years. So, thank you. You can sit down. For 18 years, she was, do this again, she was bent over and don't stand up until I say stand up. Okay, bend all the way over. Well, Jesus walked over to her and touched her and said, you are healed. And immediately, guess what? She stood up. Stand up. There you go. Jesus healed her just like that. But for 18 years, she had been, uh, been bent over. Now, there were so many rules back then about what you could, even today, among uh, the Jewish people. There's so many rules about what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. Uh, let me just read you a few of them. This is even today. You can't write, erase. You can't tear a piece of paper. You can't do any business transactions. You can't drive a car or ride in a car or other vehicles. You can't go shopping or use the telephone. You can't turn anything on or off which uses electricity, including lights, radio, television, computer, air conditioners, and alarm clocks. You can't cook or bake or start a fire, kindle a fire. Uh, you can't do any gardening. You cannot mow the grass. 
on Sunday. Um, this was the Sabbath. <laughs> and you can't do any laundry, ladies. There were so many rules, and these people uh, had to study for years to learn all the rules that they had to follow uh, about the Sabbath. But Jesus Christ came to show us God's heart. He was God, and he came and walked here on the earth so we could see with our own eyes what God was like. And the, the leaders in the synagogue jumped all over him for healing that lady on the Sabbath. But which do you think is more important? Not doing the laundry or healing somebody who has been bent over for their entire lives. And Jesus came and said, stand up, be healed. Because he was showing us God's heart about what is the most important. And that's how we treat other people, how we love people. And he came to heal. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning, Lord. I thank you for these beautiful children. And I thank you for this church and all that they're pouring into their little hearts. Father, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would draw them to himself. And, Lord, we just uh, commit ourselves to setting an example, to loving these children and teaching them the way in which they should walk and teaching them about Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. If you'll take your copy of God's Word and open to Psalm 121. lift my eyes toward the mountains where will my help come from my help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth he will not allow your foot to slip your protector will not slumber indeed the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep the Lord protects you the Lord is a shelter right by your side the sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night the Lord will protect you from all harm he will protect your life the Lord will protect your coming and going both now and forever.
so good what an amazing truth that we cannot pay our own debt but freely you gave your life for us that we could be washed by the blood of the lamb that we could be redeemed because your mercy is due every single morning because you paid it all be glorified in this place today Speak to us your word and change us. In the name of Jesus Christ alone we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. How about now? All right. If you'll please take your copy of God's Word uh, and turn to the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, we will be in 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, and we'll be in verses 2 through 10. Um, you might have noticed last week that there was a section of verse 2 that I did not touch upon, um, and that was because I was going to touch upon it this week. Uh, so 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you didn't bring a Bible, hopefully there's one around you somewhere, a black one, hardback. If you'll take it, turn to the back of the Bible and find page 164. Uh, you'll be in exactly the right spot. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. All right. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 2 through 10. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Let's read together, or pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word, for the pure milk of the word, for uh, it being as sweet as honey, uh, that we can eat it, we can devour it, and it is sweet to our taste. Um, it is the foundation upon our lives, uh, upon which we build our lives. It is um, our all in all, in so much as it points us to Christ, it points us to you, it tells us about the glories of our, our Savior tells us about the majesty of our King, tells us about the truths that um, tell us about who we are in Christ Jesus. It guides us as a church. It gives us guidance in our day-by-day walk. Lord, we have more that we could say about your word, but suffice it to say this, Lord, we're incredibly grateful for your word. Lord, as we ponder what it means to contend for contentment, we pray that you would uh, open our hearts and our minds that we might receive what you have for us today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you would be seated. The title of this morning's message is, again, we've been contending our way through 1 Timothy. And the sermon title is Contending for Contentment. Now, if we want to talk about what contentment is, um, I think I could give a definition and I will endeavor to. Uh, but I want to come at it from different directions. I want to come at it first from a scriptural direction, which I think is the right way to go. Psalm 131, verses 1 and 2. Listen, this is what contentment is. O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely, we've got an example of this this morning, I have composed and quieted my soul 
Like a weaned child rests against his mother, my soul is a weaned child within me. We have little Melanie Diane down front here. And she's just sleeping like she can, like there's no tomorrow, like nothing else is going on. She's content. She's got no worries. Now the Westminster Shorter Catechism, in the very first question, this is a great question. Because it helps us to understand and condense what, what really, this is a good answer for what biblical contentment is. What is, that's the first question of the catechism, what is the, the chief end of man? Why were we created? What is our purpose in life? And this is what it is. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Contentment is enjoying God, resting in Him. It's also been said this way. Contentment is not only an embracing of the providence of God, but even more fundamentally, an embracing of the God of providence. So he's the, he's the giver, and we should rejoice in his gift, but also in him. Contentment, another put, put it this way, it's not a mental determination to keep ourselves satisfied, but it is a disposition of the soul. John 17, 3, this is Jesus. This is eternal life. You could say this is contentment, true contentment. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And Jesus wants people to experience contentment. Listen to what he says in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think keeping all that in mind, we'll have a biblical understanding for what is contentment. Timothy wants, or Paul writing to Timothy wants us to understand where you find contentment. And contentment is only found in the person of Christ. You look in verse 3 and he says, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now there are false teachers in the church who are trying to move people away from true contentment. They're trying to point them to other things. And Paul is saying contentment is really, truly, only found in the person of Jesus Christ. Not only that, contentment is found in the truth about Christ. Again, verse 3, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's doctrinal. So contentment is, first of all, relational. It is a relationship. It is found only in a relationship with the person of Christ Jesus. Secondly, it's only found in the truth about Christ Jesus. Thirdly, contentment is found only in conformity to the image of Christ. It's relational. It's doctrinal. It's transformational. So again in verse 3, if anyone advocates a different doctrine, it's doctrinal. It does not agree with, the sound, with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, relational. And with the doctrine conforming to godliness, transformational. Now you notice on the screen that the word Christ is highlighted in red. I did that because I don't want us to miss that. But contentment is found only in Christ, in a relationship with Him, in learning the truth about Him, in being transformed through those two things. That's where contentment truly is. Conformity to the image of Christ. That's what Paul's talking about with the doctrine conforming to godliness. You could say it a different way. Doctrine that pr produces godliness. God. Uh, Doctrine that promotes godliness. Now lest that sound, I hope that that doesn't sound boring to us. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, he says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory 
Because we think about being conformed to the image of, of the Lord, of Christ. Paul describes that as glory. Glory. Being transformed into the same image of our Lord. So, but we all with unveiled face, the holding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. From glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. It's a glorious endeavor to find contentment in Jesus Christ. And one thing I want to make sure that we understand here is that true contentment is not, it is not a hands-off endeavor. I've got on my boat a trolling motor. That trolling motor has got a little attachment on it. So Joey and I will be out fishing, and, he'll, and, and we'll be trolling around. I'm in the back of the boat. I, I'm not the boss. But we're, draw, we're moseying around on the lake, and he'll say, Dad, can you spot lock us right here? So I grab this little remote. I push a button. It's got an anchor on it. So I push that button. And, and what that does is it, it, it's going to, that trolling motor is going to hold us in that area. It's going to connect to satellites via GPS. And when we move off of that spot, it's going to push us back. So when a big old wake boat, we don't like wake boats. We don't like wake boats. They push us way off the spot. So we come back. Sometimes we're fighting with wind. Whatever it is, we, 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 we put that spot lock down so we don't have to sit there and mess with that trolling motor. Right? It's really a cool thing. Now, why do I bring this up? Because it applies directly to finding true contentment. It's not a hands-off endeavor. It's us continually spot-locking our heart on Christ. The reason that we have to continually do that is because there are wind and waves that want to push us off that spot. John Calvin said, The heart is a perpetual idle factory. We sing, come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. And then we sing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. John Owen says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. True contentment is not a hands-off endeavor. That is why Paul says to Timothy in verse 2, the very end, teach and preach these principles. Now, in the Greek, it is a continual, it's a command, but it is a continual command. It is as if Paul is telling Timothy, teach and keep teaching. Continually teach these things. Preach and continually continue to preach these things. He's saying, Timothy, educate the people and exhort them. He's saying, inform them and then insist on their obedience. Now, we say this every Sunday, right? Teaching them everything that I've commanded you, right? That's what we say. That's not what we say. We say teaching them to observe, obey all that I have commanded you. That is why, because true contentment is only found in Christ and we are prone to wander... Timothy is commanded, teach and continue to teach. Preach, continue to preach. Don't call a business meeting and see, you think the church will go for this? Don't form a committee. This is what the Southern Baptist Convention threatened to do this summer. Don't form a committee to determine how different churches understand the word contentment. St. Timothy, teach it and keep teaching it. Preach it and keep preaching it. True contentment is not a hands-off endeavor. So you know that means that we've got to teach and continue to teach ourselves? I've got to do it. We have to do it for each other. That true contentment is found in Christ, not from places we might want to wander off to. We have to preach it and continue to preach it to ourselves because our heart is a perpetual factory of idols. Paul points out in the text this morning two enemies of contentment. Two enemies of contentment. The first enemy is conceit. And the second one is covetousness. Now we'll look at these a little more in depth here in a moment. But I want you to see, we've probably seen these two enemies of contentment used somewhere else before. Like maybe in the first few pages of the Bible. Adam and Eve. I mean, what, how, how did Satan, the serpent, go to them? Did God really say that? 
I mean, don't you know better than to trust God? He's withholding something from you. Do you know that when you eat of this fruit, then you'll be like Him? And so out of conceit and because of covetousness, well, it was just a connecting of the dots in the mind for, for Eve. And then she ate and, she, and then she gave to Adam and he ate and they fell into sin. But notice what Paul calls the, the, the false teachers who are trying to pull people away from contentment in Christ. In, in, in 1 Timothy 4 verses 1 to 3, he says this, But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith. Listen, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. So the enemies of contentment have been around since Adam and Eve. Conceit and covetousness. First, let's look at conceit. Conceit basically says, I know better. Specifically as applied right here. I know better. So these false teachers felt like they knew better than the doctrine that had been handed down to them. But Paul says, these guys just possess a pompous ignorance. Verse 3 says, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, does not agree means that he doesn't attach himself to, doesn't cling to, doesn't devote himself to. No, because he doesn't do that, he wanders away from the truth. He says to himself, Jesus isn't enough. I know better. 1 Timothy 1, 7. Paul describes these teachers. He says, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. They are pompously ignorant. In verse 4. Paul describes them as conceited. They're puffed up. They're blinded. They're foolish. Maybe even to the point of being mentally ill. But the truth is, believing that they really know things, verse 4, Paul says, he understands nothing. He understands nothing. He is insanely arrogant and extremely proud. So conceit says, I know better. But it's just a pompous ignorance. Conceit also is characterized by verbal warfare. Verse 4, he says, He has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words. Morbid interest describes an unhealthy desire. The the word for sound in verse 3 is the Greek word from which we get the word hygiene. It actually means healthy. Does not agree with healthy words. Instead of choosing the healthy words of Christ, he has an unhealthy interest in everything else. In fact, 1 Timothy 1 verse 4, Paul says to Timothy, Don't pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation. That's what these false teachers were doing. And he described them as in, in chapter 1, verse 6, as turning aside to fruitless discussion. They just loved to talk about things that didn't matter. They wanted to get into what verse 4 says, controver- or controversial questions. And what they would do in these times is they would express a forceful difference of opinion, but they don't really have in their mind an outcome or a solution. They just like to argue. They just like to have a difference of opinion that doesn't go anywhere. This verbal warfare also includes disputes about words, Paul says in verse 4. That's literally word warfare. That's what it means in the Greek. Word warfare. Where they quarrel about what does this word mean? How is it being used? Conceit involves verbal warfare. And I think we see examples of this in the Bible. The Jewish religious leaders... We're always squabbling over things that didn't matter, just like what Mary Catherine pointed out this morning. I mean, 
You can't do your laundry. You can't mow the yard. You can't write. You can't erase. You can't do all these different things. So you certainly can't heal a man on the Sabbath. They gotten so lost in their verbal uh, warfare that they missed the point. Paul was likely the same way as a Pharisee. Greeks, like when Paul uh, went to Athens and Mars Hill, he found, um, it, it says in Acts that these men that would come together and talk philosophy, they were always into something new. Just always about things that made no difference, but they were willing to fight over it. A third characteristic of conceit is collateral damage. See, when it says in verse 4 that he's conceited, he understands nothing, has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, and here comes the collateral damage, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, and evil suspicions. And I think when you read out of which arise, that, that kind of correlates to when verse 3, there's a doctrine that conforms to godliness, and then there are, there's the opposite approach where there's controversial questions and disputes about words which lead or promote or produce ungodliness. And that's what these false teachers were doing. The collateral damage included envy. That's just jealousy. It included strife. That's, that's quarrels, arguments. It included abusive language where people were slandering and reviling one another over these worthless pursuits. There was evil suspicions where people had an opinion of someone and they had just the the thinnest of evidence for having that opinion. But in their mind, that much meant the whole thing was true. They had this false opinion and in their mind, their false opinion was as good as truth. Some more collateral damage. We find constant friction. And this is a really intense term that Paul's using. It's it's a strong term. The the emphasis here is really heightened. And it describes someone who is characterized by constant and irritating argumentativeness. Just love to argue. Just love to wrangle. And he says that this type of stuff is happening through a certain group of men who are caught up in this collateral damage. They're men of, a, of depraved mind. They're morally corrupt. Their minds are ruined. They're perverted in their minds. And not only that, these men are deprived of the truth. At one time, they might have had the truth, but that truth has been stolen from them. That word, um, um, deprived, means that it, they've been dispossessed of it. In other words, it was taken from them. They had it at one time, but then it was taken from them. So conceit says, I know better. And it's characterized by these three things. And it is an enemy of contentment. And it was one of the ways that, that people could recognize these false teachers in the church that had this kind of character. But then another enemy is covetousness, where um, conceit says, I know better. Covetousness says, I deserve better. N- notice the characteristics of covetousness. One of them is, is a selfish godliness. And notice, godliness is in, is in quotation marks. Because at the end of verse 5, it says that these men who are depraved, of a depraved mind, deprived of the truth, who stir up all this trouble and all this collateral damage, they have in mind a selfish godliness. They suppose, verse 5 says, that godliness is a means of gain. To suppose simply means this. They imagine. They come to a conclusion in their mind. But it is a vain imagination. It is like they believe that 2 plus 2 is 6. They just have this wrong understanding. And godliness here, again, is in quotation marks because the godliness they have in mind comes from a false doctrine. Therefore, the godliness is false. It gives an impression of being the truth. But it is motivated by self-interest. It is a selfish godliness. And their motivation is, at the end of verse 5, gain. It's about getting money. It's financial gain. 
Now you try to confront them with verse 6 and say, oh, but, but godliness actually is a means of great gain. They would say, no, no, I, I deserve better. If you were to say, verse 8, if you have food and covering, you should be content. No, it's not enough. I deserve better, and genuine godliness will bring to me what I deserve. That's a selfish godliness. Covetousness is also characterized by idolatry. Verse 9 says, But those who want to get rich, they stretch out toward riches. They pursue it. It is an all-out pursuit with them. And God says, You shall have as many gods as you think is all right, long as you kind of keep me up at the top. No. It's not what God says. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. What provoked God to anger in the Old Testament? Idolatry. People said, oh yes, Lord, we worship you. But then they had their high places and their other gods. Perhaps they said to themselves, you know, holiness is kind of boring. I deserve better. I I want better for myself. A third characteristic of covetousness is what I'm just going to call symptoms of addiction. You can try to persuade someone and say, listen to what verse 6 says, godliness actually is a means of great gain. Godliness actually is of, it's more desirable than, than the, the best food. You can have the, the greatest possessions. You could have more money than Croesus. You could have whatever it is you want. But it is not on the level of gain that godliness is. But godliness is really a means of great gain when there's contentment with it. When you can rest. When you can trust that what God has provided for you is good. And so you can trust in the the, the God of providence. Because we're reminded, just as Job said, verse 7, For we've brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either we have food and covering, if we have clothes and we got a roof over our head, with these things we can really, truly rest in the God of providence. But no, a person who says, I deserve better, you say that to them, you try to persuade them, they would say, no, I deserve better. So what happens? I think what happens, what, what Paul describes here, we can call symptoms of addiction. I've just got to have it. And I'm willing to do whatever I need to get it. And notice verse 9. Those who want to get rich, they fall into temptation. And having fallen into temptation, now they're snared by it. And then they fall into many foolish and harmful desires. And they're plunged into ruin and destruction. Sounds like James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, where James writes, But each one is tempted... When he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. It's very similar to this. James, uh, Paul is saying these people, they're, they're so covetous, they're so idolatrous, that they just pine after, they have to have riches. And when they do so, it leads them into temptation, a snare. Many foolish desires, they're ruined, they're destroyed. Then he says, here's here's why. Let's, Let's get to the bottom of their addiction. Verse 10. For the love of money is the root. It's the root. It's what it's what's underground. It's what you can't see. Love of money, that's the root of all sorts of evil. And when love of money is like an addiction, Paul says, some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith. Wandered away from their source of true contentment. And they have pierced themselves with many pangs. They have a pain of grief that comes from their unfulfilled love of money. Conceit says, I know better. Covetous says, I deserve better. Now we might think, 
There's no false teachers in our church, so, so this really doesn't apply to us. I don't want you to fall into the trap. I don't want us to fall into the trap of depersonalizing this text, whereby we might say to ourselves, I'm not a pompous ignoramus like those false teachers, and I'm not gripped with a covetous love of money like them. You know, they actually sound like those prosperity gospel preachers to me. But isn't it easy to look down on someone who sins differently than you? So let me ask, what is your idol? I guarantee you, I guarantee you, there is a direct connection between your idol and the type of teaching you seek out. Why do I say that? Because we love to preserve ourselves. Jesus says, if any man wishes to come after me, let him deny himself daily. Take up his cross and follow me. But Jesus, I'd have to give up my idol. So I don't want to, I don't want to do that. So I'll seek out the kind of teaching that, that what, what Paul calls, uh, calls itching ears. People, they long to have their ears scratched with things that they want to hear. You can keep your idol and serve God at the same time. In fact, keep your idol and let go, you and God together, you'll serve that idol. Because you be godly and he'll just kind of pat you on the back. Godly, of course. Pat you on the back and say, you're doing great. Here, let's give you more of what you want. Perhaps I overplayed my hand there. But I think if you'll stop and think, there is a direct connection between your idol and the kind of teaching you seek. Do you remember in the 80s? I think it was the 80s. There was this commercial, um, of this financial company. E.F. Hutton. Do y'all remember those? Anybody remember those? Okay. And, and the whole point was, there's this, these people, they're in a crowded place, lots of people around, and they're having a conversation. Everybody else is caught up in their own conversations and stuff. And, and all of a sudden, one of the two says to the other the words, E.F. Hutton. And everyone around goes, stops what they're doing and leans in and puts their, their hands over their ears to try to listen. And then... The tagline was, when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. Y'all remember that? Who are you listening to? What authoritative voice do you listen to? Who is your E.F. Hutton? And does this voice lead you away from or toward true contentment in Christ? Does this voice... Confirm, or I'm sorry, confront your idols, or does it cultivate your idolatry? So you might think, well, I have to tear down my idols. Absolutely. Amen. If you walk out of here saying, I've got to tear, my, that, tear down my idols, praise God, but that's only part of the solution. Pursuing contentment in Christ is our ultimate goal. Tear down the idol, smash it to bits, grind it to dust, and turn to Christ. And and latch yourself to Him. Pursue your contentment in Him. You know, going back to the illustration about the anchor lock, the spot lock. What if, right now, spiritually, you are spot locked in a place that is not producing true contentment. Do do you really want to stay there? You know, one of the things that we can do is we can turn off that spot lock. We can go to a different place and we can press that button again and it locks us down. Why does Paul tell Timothy, teach and preach these things? Because we have a tendency to spot lock in places that don't bring us contentment. So one of the things that we continually have to do through being exposed to the Word... It's to reorient our spotlight. To say, this, is, this isn't true contentment in Christ. I've got to, I've got to move. I've got to, I've got to make a change. I've got to do something different. And then I've got a spotlight right here. And then over time, wind and waves and things happen, kind of get us off. Nope, I've drifted. Come back, spotlight. Perhaps that describes you today. Your contentment comes from something else, and it's not Jesus. And you're on pins and needles and you're anxious. It's causing problems, collateral damage. Maybe you've convinced yourself, I know better. I know that I need these things. 
Perhaps you've convinced yourself, I deserve better. You can do no better than Christ. And I commend Him to you today. Father, we thank You for our Savior in whom there is abundant riches of joy and contentment. He is the source of our life, our hope, our joy. We will spend, we'll learn what true contentment is one day when there will be nothing to divert our eyesight, try to lure our heart's attention and affection away from Christ. And we will see one day where our true contentment has always been. Lord, help us to fix our eyes on heaven and on the day that will come when we see our Savior face to face and allow us the grace to see Him face to face in our mind, to be ravished by His glory and His beauty, that our hearts might not pine after anything but Him. Lord, help us to tear down our idols today and pursue our Savior. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing wonderful words of life. If there's a decision you need to make during this time, now's the time to do it. Let's sing together. a few things on our prayer list. Um, what Have you heard anything lately about Addie Webster? Sue? Okay. She's, she's just still fighting this, this cancer. Okay. And, and so the treatments are really harsh. So pray for Addie. Angela Allred passed away this morning. Um, so pray for her family. Um, ben asked... Uh, ben is now... Is it, do you know, is he actually in the nursing home yet? Okay. He's in rehab. Okay, so he's not quite. Okay, all right. I didn't understand that fully. He asked us to pray for um, his daughter, Cheyenne Lucas, and then also uh, her husband. Uh, they both have COVID. Um, Clinton Hayden uh, had a successful surgery this past week, uh, but he still needs our prayers. He's not out of the woods yet. Um, Yes. Okay. 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 Pray for the fungus to go away in his lungs. Okay. Thank you. Um, let's see what else. Oh, my dad is on the prayer list. I want you to know. Yeah. There's there's nothing serious going on. Um, he is. If he's not there already, he's made his way to to Kentucky uh, with Texas Baptist men to serve uh, in disaster relief there. So pray for him and all the folks with TBM that are there. Um, Olivia Ratliff, um, I think their graduation for her and Janus, her her dog, is today, and then they should hopefully be back here next weekend. So can pray for their safe trip home. Um, I can't think of any others off the top of my head. Do, do any of you know... Uh, any other updates or folks that need to be prayed for? Anything else to, to pray for? Make sure that you start, if you haven't started, tomorrow's a good day to start with your prayer as a prayer champion. Get your book, open the day one. It'll take you less than five minutes to do that. Do that every day and keep doing it. It's going to produce abundant benefits, dividends in the lives of our students and, uh, and in you. 
So anything else before we pray? Let's stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer and with a great commission. Father God, we are grateful um, for uh, your omnipotence um, and your healing power. Uh, We thank you for your wisdom and your goodness. Uh, Father, we pray that uh, you would bring healing to Addie Webster. Um, We, Lord, I just can't imagine a a person that young having to go through something that serious, but we know it does happen. And more often than we'd like to admit or that we like at all. So we pray that you'd bring healing to this girl, that you'd bring comfort and peace to our family. We also pray, Lord, for uh, Angela Allred's family, that you would uh, comfort them. In this time of loss, uh, we pray for Ben in his transition. And we also pray for uh, Cheyenne and her husband as they're battling COVID. Uh, Lord, we pray for, for my dad and others that are um, serving with TBM in, in Kentucky. Thankful for their service and pray that um, you just guide their, their steps, uh, keep them safe, give them ample opportunity to love people and even to share the gospel. Pray for Olivia and the family. Um, what a joyous day uh, they're having today. and Pray for their safe return back. Pray for Clinton Hayden as he continues to fight this, um, the, the ongoing health issues with him and pray that this fungus would be cleared up in his lungs. Father, we're indeed grateful for all that you do for us, for Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. It's through him all of this that we pray for is even possible. And we pray all in his name. Amen. And Jesus came and said unto them, All authority has been get on... Let's start over. Can't even read. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See you tonight at business meeting. Have a great day.